electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Great America. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. If a company is doing well and its stock price stops reflecting that, then sooner or later you get a relief rally, which is exactly what happened today with the Dow gaining 312 points, S&P jumping 1025%, and the Nasdaq surging 1.25%. But this kind of bounce mystifies people, especially if you're yesterday's ugly. I mean, yes, why today? Why at these levels? What happened? Well, there are a couple reasons. And remember, I predicted this oversold bounce last night, but there are reasons to make it. It wasn't just all so-called technical. First, sell-offs won't stop until we've driven out the weak hands who can't take the pain of the market. The house of pain. At this point, we've driven out a lot of the disillusioned dip buyers went too low. So why don't we just use Kramer Fave NVIDIA as an example? This is a tremendous chip maker where no one believes there's a demand problem because they make the most important high-performance graphics cards imaginable. NVIDIA stock has been pulled down by the overall market, especially the semiconductor ETFs. This stock has fallen from $224 to $196 in practically the blink of an eye. Even if NVIDIA were a less-than-stellar company, which it most certainly is not, it would still be worth picking at at these levels. We have a big position in NVIDIA for the charitable trust, which, of course, you can find out by joining my investment club. And you know I'm quite proud of our ownership stake in NVIDIA. And if the stock had been down again today, I would have fired off an email to you to do some buy. Kind of been actually held back too long, perhaps. Should have recommended it yesterday before today's 3.6 point rebound. As I always tell club members, I don't always get it perfectly right. I held back because the market looked like it could keep breaking down. Of course, NVIDIA can still reverse if the market starts selling off again. But even if the sell returns, people now remember that this is the one of the stocks. This is the stock to buy after tech 
has been hit the hardest. They have great memory for this. When you have a straight line down of more than 10% in the stock of an amazing company like NVIDIA, it's worth snaring some on the way down. It keeps going lower. Well, you know what? You can buy some more at better prices. So file this one under the great stocks that drop 10% are intrinsically interesting category. Hey, speaking of the semiconductor stocks, they're a true leadership group, and this, this leader is actually worth following. These days, chips are in everything that matters. They've been in a downturn for weeks, which is very unhealthy for the stock market. Great leadership group. Today's rebound is fantastic news for the bulls. We have a semiconductor shortage, of course. However, it's bad news for the myriad companies that need chips, especially the auto industry. But at least we're starting to hear some positive signs. I have my ear to the ground on this. That COVID's getting under control in the East Asian foundries, particularly Malaysia that are so essential to the semiconductor supply chain. It is fantastic for Ford. Now, that's a longtime investment club holding, and one of that is because CEO Jim Farley is doing a great job of reinventing this once troubled company. We think Ford is such an important position for the club that we write about it regularly. You need to know more than just what I say on the show. Second reason for the bounce, we know inflation is running hot, and it's probably not about to stop anytime soon. But you know what? We just got results from PepsiCo that showed a monster 9% increase in organic sales growth. Now, I'm used to seeing 4 to 5% growth. That's extraordinary. The packaged food stocks have become toxic of late. I mean, look at the meltdown in McCormick after reported similarly strong growth, but had to cut its earnings forecast because of these rising costs. So it's huge that PepsiCo could actually mount a bit of a rally. I mean, it was up a dollar, more than a dollar most of the day, didn't finish over a dollar, even after management talked at length about inflationary pressures, and they made it very clear to you that inflation is a big issue. And that tells me Wall Street's really itching to get into this group, raw costs or not. Maybe they like the near 3% yield. Of course, PepsiCo is not the most representative food and beverage company. It's a best of breed operator. But it's still encouraging that the stock didn't slump. Even as, you know, when they reported at 6, at 601, they were already hammering it. But the selling was wrong. Maybe earnings season won't be that bad. Third, the big cap tech stocks have been clubbed going in today. And as I'll explain later, the group was ready and able to mount a comeback. Some would say it was right for one. Now, this is an important move because just yesterday, once again, I can't. It drives me crazy. People were writing off Fang. Every time that happens, the doomsayers have proven wrong because these companies never stop innovating, which is why we own so many of them for the trust. While I think there's nothing to do with these levels, Wall Street made big pushes on Amazon, Netflix, and we got a relief rally in Facebook that we have to talk about more later. Other tech stocks with great quarters under the belts all shine. Think Adobe, ServiceNow, Workday, and investment club stalwart Salesforce.com. And that's good news because when they reported, their quarters were met with skepticism. I thought, by the way, that IBM acquitted itself really well on Mad Money last night. So we added to the bullpen of stocks that we're monitoring for the travel trust. That's a key feature. Sure, it's a slower growing cloud play, but the growth will get much faster after IBM spins off its solid but going nowhere legacy business and the cash flow blooms. Fourth, we could rally even though oil went up again, because this time we also got very strong services purchasing managers index report. Last night, when we spoke to Marty Musi, the CEO of Paychex, he pointed out that business formation and hiring remain excellent. The states in the South that had the worst Delta variant outbreaks are now doing the best. The market loves a solid bounce off good economic data. Never forget that. Fifth, the bond market took its cue from that robust PMI number, which sent bond yields higher, stock prices lower. Of course, every time you get higher longer-term interest rates, the bank stocks tend to rally. Uh, but that rarely happens on days when oil goes up. Uh-uh, today was strong, was exceptional, was positive. Sixth, the reopening trade is still back on. The airlines are running, aided by the fact that they're forcing their employees to get vaccinated. Anything that makes people feel more secure traveling is great news. 
JetBlue just told us they expect transatlantic flights to resume by Thanksgiving. Now, that's uh, that's some consumer spending is apparently flagging. Some people say today it's a much needed development for the largest department stores that transatlantic flights come back. By the way, it's also good for terrible trust name Estee Lauder, come to think of it, E.L. OK, now, this is the one that I think is really tricky because I don't like these stocks, but. I have to talk about them. Yeah, China rallied. Now, this is one of the most important factors that happened today. The Chinese stock market is the worst in the world. It hasn't been able to get any traction whatsoever because the Chinese Communist Party has started governing like they actually believe in communism. At the same time, there's a real estate crisis. But today we saw big gains in Alibaba, JD.com, uh, Baidu, and a host of other Chinese names. Does that mean the government's war against capitalism has subsided for now? Could be. Certainly giving breathing room to the American companies with lots of businesses over there. And there I'm speaking about Nike and longtime Kramer faith Apple. You know what? I would actually nibble at Starbucks off this move, too. Of course, I hesitate to recommend any Chinese stocks on the show, even as they seem ripe for further bounce, because I don't want to wake up to the headline that the PRC is targeting yet another industry. One big caveat, though. This is strictly a snapback rally. It's hard for these moves to last because there's still so many investors who want to get out. If we get anywhere higher, they're going to hit the X's en masse. Although as we get closer to the end of the month, I told you I will get more and more positive. Here's the bottom line. This was a decent bounce. You had a chance to get in ahead of it earlier in the day. But now that we've rebounded, I think you got to wait. No need to come in on top of what might turn out to be quicksand. Just keep your bat on your shoulder. And wait for the next opportunity to buy some high-quality stocks at better prices than you ever thought you could get. Can I go to Frank in Pennsylvania? Frank! Jimmy Chill! What's Whoa. up, man? Hey, big shout-out to Levittown, Pennsylvania, where I'm calling from. First time on the show. Huge moment for you. Big moment for me as well. All right. Jim, I'm watching I'm watching the major indices. I'm watching these big mega-cap tech besides today, the last two weeks, just drill to the center of the earth and losing tons of value, shedding market cap. And what do I see while that's happening? But a company by the name of Tesla trading above average value and outperforming the market every day. Uh, today, it was about average volume, and it was flat on the day. But, Jim, I got to tell you, I think it might be Tesla time. What do you think? Is uh, it Tesla time? I have thought it's Tesla time ever since a couple of years ago when it was uh, – you know, we've caught a, almost a 10-bagger. 10, 10 I am not leaving Tesla. As a matter of fact, I think Tesla is fantastic here, and it's growing and doing so in an incredible way, and Elon Musk is a true genius. Can we go to Pat in Massachusetts, please? Pat. What's happening, Jim? Eh, not much. How about you? I'm doing good. Fired up. Red Sox, Yanks, and I'm feeling good. Yes. I wish you the best of luck. I know the Yankee fans here are not so happy about that, but I wish the yeah. Boston fan good. Okay, Cole's about to get rocked tonight. I have a funny feeling. <laughs> Sorry, right. my... Uh, my question tonight is about the stock Square. Uh, last week, they made a big deal finding up with TikTok. Yesterday, right. Square got gouged by dropping 12%, and then today went up 9%. How do you see Square as a long-term hold? I think I'm glad you put it long-term, because I didn't think it's a, a, a wonderful long-term story. Short-term things have gotten so rocky that I genuinely believe that it's going to be down 8, up 8, down 8 for a little bit. 
and it's going to shake out all the Johnny come lately's in the weekends, and then it will be time to buy. Thank you for the kind words. Good luck to Boston. All three major indices had a nice bounce back today. I don't want you to jump all over it. I want you to take a step back and wait for another dip now that this one has occurred to buy some high-quality names at a discount. Oh, man, tonight, a short-selling report has put brakes on a company we had on air recently called Lightspeed. So after tumbling from its highs, what should you make of the point-of-sale software company? I'm going to give you my take. Then, looks like the market gave us an oversold bounce, right, that we talked about last night. So could this be a bottom or just a temporary relief to, to the pain? We have to do more than just what I did just now. We're going to go off the charts to find out. And energy companies seem to be taking a greater interest in, of all things, ESG. I'm learning more about how Enbridge wants to make a difference with the company's CEO and its 6% plus yield. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also, a fact smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. I'm always telling you to ring the register on some of these high flying stocks 
with ridiculous valuations. Take profits while you got them. Even as I caught a ton of flack for it over the past year and a half. But I've never backed away from my discipline because discipline is what works. Discipline trumps conviction. You have to ring the register on high flyers because they're inherently vulnerable. If something goes wrong, the whole edifice can collapse practically overnight. So now I want you to consider the case of light speed commerce. That's the rapidly growing maker of point of sale hardware and an e-commerce software, mostly for small businesses. This is a hot area. Where, uh, we've had some huge winners here. Think Square. Uh, but Lightspeed really drew my attention because we use their system at Bar San Miguel, my small plate Mexican place in Brooklyn. Now, a couple of months ago, we invited CEO Dax DeSilva on the show as the stock had run up 166% since it listed on the New York Stock Exchange in September of last year. He told a compelling story, and the stock jumped from 85 at the time of the interview to 124 at its peak last month on September 22nd. But on that day... One of Lightspeed's competitors, a company called Toast, came public. And I warn you away from both stocks because they were just too expensive to justly own. I couldn't justify it. Since then, Lightspeed has hit a wall. This is a turbocharged growth stock, so of course it rolled over with the rest of the growth stock cohort when Wall Street started freaking out about rampant inflation and rising interest rates. Remember, inflation is poisoning growth stocks because they're all about future earnings many years down the road. And inflation erodes the purchasing power of those future dollars. And at that point, it eludes a lot of people. So all you have to remember is, is that high flyers do poorly in an inflationary environment. But that was just the start because things somehow got even worse for Lightspeed last week. On Wednesday, the stock got hit with what I regard as a devastating report from the short-selling research firm, in other words, they want a stock to go down, Spruce Point Capital. Spruce Point Capital put out a negative research piece, and they wanted the stock to go lower. And man, if even half of their allegations are true, the stock deserves to be much, much lower. These guys accuse Lightspeed of all kinds of bad behavior, ranging from exaggerating their total addressable market, gross transaction volume, and customer account numbers in the year before their IPO, to a strategy of covering up decelerating organic growth with a series of acquisitions. In response, Lightspeed stock tumbled 12% last Wednesday, and since then it's kept falling. It's dropped from 100 12 to 92 in less than a week. And that's why you got to ring the register uh, on the way, because when something goes awry with one of these uh, high growth plays, you don't get much chance to sell it into strength on the way down since the decline always happens so fast. That is a typical pattern. So what do we make of these allegations? Do the short sellers make a good point or have they created an enticing buying opportunity for those who are actually willing to take some risk? It's not a buying opportunity. In fact, Even after this sell-off, I'd argue that it's still not too late to sell. And that is unusual for me to say that. Here's the thing. Wall Street loved Lightspeed for its jaw-dropping growth rate. In their most recent quarter, the company had 220% revenue growth. And if they can hit the consensus numbers for the full fiscal year, they're looking at 137% revenue growth. That's a major deceleration, though. Uh, a major, major acceleration, I'm sorry, from 80, 84% of the fiscal year. So in other words, they are still accelerating. However... In this business, we draw a distinction between organic growth, like I talked about at PepsiCo at the top of the show, that's business you generate yourself, and inorganic growth that you get from buying other companies. Lightspeed's purchased a huge chunk of that uptick. Just in the past 12 months, they've completed five separate acquisitions, each worth hundreds of millions of dollars. The company bought Shopkeep for $440 million in cash and stock last November, then Upserve for $430 million a month later, then Ven for $350 million this March, followed by Equid and New Order over the summer for $500 million and $425 million respectively. So, yeah, Lightspeed had 220% growth rate last quarter, but that's a lot less impressive when you remember that they spent more than $2 billion with a bunch of acquisitions. 
Plus, Lightspeed is textbook with high growth stock, zero earnings, sky high price earnings, sales multiple. Price, I'm sorry, price to sales, not price to earnings, price to sales. This kind of stock is inherently brittle. Anything that can produce monster gains when things are going well can also give you monster losses when something goes wrong. Which brings me to last Wednesday when the short-focused uh, researchers at that place, Spruce Point Capital Management, published a 125-page presentation on this company, on Lightspeed. These guys conducted a forensic financial and accounting review, and what they found, I think, is disturbing. Let me walk you through the allegations. First, Spruce Point, remember, they want the stock to go down, says that Lightspeed massively inflated its business pre-IPO. Those are their words, not mine. Before it came public, it seems like the company had a history of making exaggerated claims about its gross transaction volume, its customer count, even the number of offices it had. But that's in the past, and the disclosure rules in privately held companies are a lot less stringent. Second, Spruce Point uh, notes, quote, evidence of slowing and declining organic growth and business deterioration through IPO. Huh. These researchers allege that Lightspeed has changed the way it calculates average revenue per user to make it seem like that number's growing. They even quote an anonymous former employee who claims the average revenue per user as a whole is actually declining. On top of that, management used to say uh, that cash flow from operations was the best way to measure the company's path to profitability. Then they stopped providing cash flow guidance. Suboptimal. It also looks like Lightspeed changed its revenue recognition policies. Oh, man. Shortly after its March 2019 IPO. Spruce Point thinks they did that to juice the numbers. Third, they accused Lightspeed of wildly overpaying for its recent acquisitions in order to cover up its declining organic growth rate. Now, I don't know if that's true. And Spruce Point highlights a ton of issues with the takeover targets. Plus, generally speaking, it's very difficult to acquire and integrate lots of sizable companies in a short period of time. Lightspeed's trying to do something very difficult with its takeover, takeover spree. So it wouldn't surprise me if there are some rocky moments here. In the end, Spruce Point views Lightspeed as, quote, a poor man's Shopify, one of our favorite companies. One that they're betting will face increased competition from the likes of Square, Adobe, Amazon. They think the analysts who follow Lightspeed are missing this story because it's a Canadian company. And in their view, Canadian analysts are too nice. Now, Lightspeed published a formal response last Thursday where they claimed Spruce Point's report is full of inaccuracies and mischaracterizations. But when we reached out to the PR representative to see if they wanted to respond to the allegations directly, the company declined to do so, which is pretty outrageous given that we recently had them on the show. However, the stock has a bunch of analysts, defenders, who jumped in to argue that Spruce Point's thesis is overblown which is why they think Lightspeed's worth buying the weakness. My view, even before the short report came out, I thought Lightspeed was too expensive and told you so. The stock deserved to pull back hard. Even at these levels, it's trading at 25 times, not earnings, but sales. That's pretty expensive for a company that's facing more and more competition in what I think is a slowing industry, given the huge cost of opening a new restaurant right now. Here's the bottom line. I won't tell you to bet against Lightspeed. I'm not a short seller recommendationer. Because there's, I, I, there's too much that could go right. Uh, but this is a stock that has become a savage battleground. So I think you should stay the heck away. It is just too risky, people. Even if you forget about all the funny business this Bruce Point's accusing them of. The stock had a good run. It is time to move on. Mad Money's back after the break. Coming up. 
Kramer tackles the technicals and gets a read on the S&P. Keep it here for Off the Charts. Next. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Last night, I told you this market had come down so far, so fast, that we actually might be due for an oversold bounce. And that's exactly what we got today. But whenever you see this kind of rally in the middle of a border decline, you got to ask yourself, is this sustainable? In other words, has the market really bottomed or is this just some sort of temporary relief rally that can't be relied upon? To answer that question, sometimes you have to be a little more methodical, so you have to go off the charts. And we're doing so with the help of Carolyn Broden. She's that brilliant technician who runs FibonacciQueen.com website. She also writes for RealMoney.com. So, for, uh, let's put things in perspective with the weekly chart of the S&P 500. Let's get started this way. I think it's going to be very good. When you look at the market across a, uh, across a longer time frame, Broden points out that what we've experienced lately is pretty much of a healthy downside correction, the kind of thing that used to happen pretty regularly before stocks went into overdrive last year. What can the charts tell us about the sell-off over the past month? Broden likes to look to the past to get a read on the future. She measures the size and duration of past swings in a given security, then runs them through the prism of Fibonacci ratios. That's a pattern that repeats itself endlessly in nature, and it shows up all, all over the time in the stock market. Using that methodology, she can find key levels or key dates where a stock or an index is likely to change direction, change trajectory. Remember, that's what we're trying to do, predict the future. Based on these past swings, Broden says we had a group of Fibonacci timing cycles coming due in the weeks ending September 3rd and September 10th. All right, so now you're looking at these. Given that the market had been running into this time period, that cluster of Fibonacci cycles suggests that the S&P 500 could change its trajectory and go into bear mode, and that was early last month. When you zoom in, though, into the S&P's daily chart, Broden also spotted a cluster of six Fibonacci timing cycles coming due in the first few days of September. All right, and there you're taking a look right here. Just like on the weekly chart, those dates told her to anticipate a possible high, especially since the S&P was trading straight up into the end of August. There we got that move up. Uh, sure enough, the actual peak came on September 2nd. And since then, we've had, a, well, a pretty nasty decline. Not, not long after... One of Broden's favorite shell triggers fired off when the S&P five-day exponential moving average, blue, okay, crossed the below the 13-day exponential moving average, red. You can see the crossover right there, okay? That's a powerful sign, almost always right, that the trajectory has deteriorated. Then, after the first few days of pain, when the market kept coming down, all the dip buyers finally started realizing, wow, this was not like the incredibly short pullbacks we've gotten used to over the last year and a half. This may be the real deal. Now, though, we've spent more than a month going lower, and today the averages are finally getting some traction. So what's next? At this point, Broden thinks the S&P could still be vulnerable to more downside, but, it's a very big but, also looks due for a tradable low right here, right now. 
Maybe it's already happened yesterday. In other words, this bounce could be worth betting on as long as you're nimble enough to get in and then get back out at higher levels because it's too soon to put our faith in this rebound. I'm kind of in the same camp. What makes Broden think that we're due for a trade below? The same things that warned her the market could peak in early September. Take a look at this next daily chart of the S&P 500. All right. First, we see a cluster of seven Fibonacci timing cycles coming due between today and Thursday. You can see that, right? Uh, that's the main reason she's so confident we could see the counter trend rally here like we had today. But uh, uh, more so, uh, it, it could be continued to be good. Again, though, she's only looking for temporary counter trend rally and not an actual bottom. And even that isn't guaranteed. Just because we got a bunch of Fibonacci timing cycles coming due at the same time doesn't necessarily mean the S&P will take, make a, a low and reverse course. These timing cycles merely tell her that the odds of reversal are higher during these few days. If you want to pull the trigger, Broden still recommends patiently waiting for a solid buy signal on top of these timing factors. Now, there's another reason she expects the rebound here to continue, at least for the moment. Take a look at this weekly chart of the S&P. When you look at the decline from the September highs, the recent decline is only similar to previous corrections within a larger uptrend. Broden believes this market can find a nice floor of support around 4205, 4278. And sure enough, 4278 is the level the S&P bounced off during yesterday's meltdown. That appears to be the floor, 4278 at least for now. Keep that number in mind. However, once again, Broden won't be putting a ton of faith into this rebound until we get a buy signal. For her, that's when the five-day exponential moving average, which we can't see right here, crosses back over the 13-day exponential, uh, and that just hasn't happened yet. And it would take a few more days of upside to even get close. Remember when I showed you the other, the, the sure like sign of death? Well, this would be a sign of life. Until we get Broden's favorite moving average crossover, she can only see this rebound as a bit of a relief rally. That said, even if we can't shake the broader decline, she's convinced that we're due for a bounce, and today may be just the beginning of that bounce. I think she's making a compelling point. Remember, the market got very oversold yesterday. When stocks come down too far too fast, we tend to get more constructive here on Mad Money. That's what I told you last night. Also repeated that in my investment club note, because I think this is very important to keep club members up. Club members up. Now, it doesn't mean the pain is over, but it does mean you need to be prepared to do some buying in your favorite names, especially if they kept coming down, which is what we did for the charitable trust. Also, don't forget, this whole late September swim was predicted by the legendary Larry Williams based on the history of the action over the last 23 years. If history is any guide this week, this tends to extend into October. But then the market typically starts to rebound. So we could soon escape from the seasonally difficult period. By the way, the last two weeks of October have historically been terrific. Here's the bottom line. The charts as interpreted by Carolyn Broden suggest that today's bounce might not be the end of the relief rally because we were due for reversal. Even if it's a temporary one. So you might have to go in today or a little bit the week this tomorrow and then up a couple days and then maybe out again. Only for the nimble, Kevin, in Texas. Kevin. Booyah from Sugarland, Texas, Jimmy. Holy Chuck. cow, Sugarland. We haven't had a call from Sugarland in ages. What's going on? Listen, I got a question about NXPI semiconductors. Sure. I'm in NVIDIA and I'm in AMD, thanks to you. Thank you. But I don't know if I'm too heavy into semiconductors or should I go into a firm? What do you think? I actually want you to go to a firm. Um, NXPI is auto, and that's terrific, and it's done very, very well. But I think a firm, I love diversification into fintech, and I think a firm is doing so well. And then you keep NVIDIA, and then you'll be in great shape. That's my suggestion, and thank you for the words. Let's go to Ann in Indiana, please. Ann. (laughs) 
Jim. Hi. I'm a longtime watcher, and this is the first time that I've got to talk to you. Fighting Irish Booyahs from South Bend, Indiana. Holy cow. Fantastic. <laughs> Let's go to a game. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm interested in DocuSign. D-O-C-U. I've noticed that it's plummeted. Is now a good time to be buying it, or should I just keep watching it? I want you to keep watching it. Now, why is that? Because I think that if rates go higher, suddenly people say, you know what? Even though it's now... uh that DocuSign's been the adopted way to be able to buy things and mortgages, there's going to be fewer mortgages. So it's a bit of a double whammy. Why don't you wait till it comes down a little? There is no hurry to buy DocuSign. All right. Tonight's chartist, Carolyn Baroden, says today's bounce may not be the end of the relief rally. Now, we were due for reversal, even if you tell me what. Now, we got much more mad money, including my exclusive with a company I have really, I've been following that happened that on in ages, and it's called Enbridge. How could the company that delivers nearly 20% of the nation's natural gas bring greater focus to the environment after announcing several new ESG tar- targets? I'm going to talk to the CEO, Al Monaco. Ben, uh, why do investors keep coming back to big tech, especially the F in FANG being in the hot seat? I'm going to give you my take and share what Facebook needs to do to win back the attention of those on Wall Street, including me as someone who owns it from my travel trust. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. As oil and gas prices surge to levels we haven't seen in years, one thing's become crystal clear. We desperately need more pipeline capacity, which brings me to Enbridge, the Canadian energy infrastructure company that operates one of North America's largest oil pipeline networks and transports nearly 20% of the natural gas that's consumed in the U.S. For years, Enbridge stock languished with the rest of the industry because energy prices were so low. But in the last year and a half, oil and gas has roared off their lows and Enbridge's stock has rebounded like crazy. Meanwhile, even after this rally, they still got a generous 6% yield. It's actually 6.6%. Holy cow. Plus, uh, like the rest of the industry, these guys have gotten religion on the environment. Last week, Enbridge held an ESG-focused event. I got to tell you, they discussed high-level goals, cutting emissions by 35% by the end of this decade, and more immediate uh, efforts like renewable natural gas, carbon capture, clean hydrogen. You know how much we believe in that. How environmentally friendly can you really be in the pipeline business? Let's take a close look with Al Monaco. He's the president and CEO of Enbridge. Find out more about his plans for the future. Mr. Monaco, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. Nice to be back. Well, Al, I've got to tell you, I am so impressed with what you're doing with ESG, with cutting emissions, with greenhouse gas. I want to get people to reintroduce to Enbridge because the dividend, I think you have a lot of coverage. But this is a new Enbridge from even in the... four years since we've talked, and it's remarkable, and I want people to know about it, so I'm giving you the floor. Okay. Well, you know, that's a good point, Jim. I think a lot has changed in the last four years. Uh, You mentioned one of them being ESG. But, you know, just to reorient the audience again here, uh, you know, we deliver uh, critical energy through our infrastructure across North America to the best markets, and that's really the bottom line of our value proposition, and that's not going away anytime soon. And uh, the, way, the way in which you do that today, of course, really needs to be focused on safety and reliability. The commercial underpinnings of our business have never been better. We're generating highly predictable cash flows and growing cash flows. We're putting new capital into the ground. It's harder today to do that, but certainly we're getting it done, as you saw with our Line 3 project. 
and a good dividend. And, and uh, the other thing that's new uh, these uh, last uh, few years is the balance sheet is in, in tremendous shape and we've got good financial flexibility. So we're, we're happy with the position, uh, particularly in respect of how we're positioning ourselves uh, for the energy transition. So uh, we're in good shape today. Now, can you meet, achieve net zero emissions? This is a, you're a carbon company, but not always. You've got a lot of other projects, but to do net zero by 2050, Al, that would be so impressive. Reduce emissions intensity 35% by 2030. These are remarkable things for one of the largest oil and gas companies in the world. How can you possibly do it? Well, it's, it's a good question, uh, Jim. We, we searched uh, this issue for around two years to make sure that when we put out these targets, we could actually deliver on them. And remember, too, though, the midstream part of the value chain generally only results in about 2% of emissions. So we're, we're not a huge emitter to start with, but we're really focused on doing our part. And we've got a number of strategies to get there, uh, as you said, by 2030, uh, 35% intensity, and then net zero by 2050. So how do we do that? Uh, modernizing uh, our assets, uh, using new technology, uh, conservation programs. We have a very large renewable uh, renewables business today. Um, buying low, lower carbon uh, fuel for, for our uh, systems. And of course, the big one these days is self-powering with solar right uh, at our locations uh, where our compressors uh, and pump stations are. So it's a uh, all of the above approach to reducing emissions. And we think that's really important, Jim. Uh, what's going to be critical going forward is what we call differentiated service. So our customers are going to be looking to us to make sure that we are doing everything we can uh, in terms of reducing emissions and more broadly on ESG. All right. So uh, can you help me? We have a lot of natural gas in this country. Uh, and sure Canada's a lot of natural gas. But the price keeps going up. I believe there have been five pipelines that have been killed just in the northeast alone in the last couple of years. Is it a problem of getting the natural gas to the markets? Well, you know, I, honestly, Jim, I'm worried about the U.S. Northeast in terms of uh, natural gas pricing. There's been so much opposition to building any new infrastructure in that part of the uh, part of the country that, uh, you know, at some point uh, the bubbles has to burst there. So the, the issue of gas prices, though, these days is really a, a global one. And, and let me just explain what I mean by that. If you look at the global LNG market, we're not quite yet connected uh, like we are in the oil market. So you got these huge pricing disparities uh, starting in Europe and Asia, as you know uh, very well, probably, you know, four or five times what the price normally is because you've got curtailments, uh, you've got storage levels low, uh, you've got, you know, gas being switched for, for, for oil and coal in terms of generating power. You've got a real reliability and consumer pricing mm-hmm. problem on mm-hmm. natural gas globally right now. And that's now migrating its way back uh, into North America. We've got tremendous resources here. And I like to refer to this as the North American competitive advantage for energy. We can find it cheaply, and we've got massive reserves, we've got the technology, and we've got the export infrastructure. We now have to embrace that uh, and and export that capability to the rest of the world. And I will add one more thing on this, Jim, linking back to ESG. Canada and the United States are number one and two in terms of uh, ESG capability 
And so when you're talking about clean barrels or clean MMBTUs, North America's got it. And our ability to export that really needs to be embraced, I think, going forward. Okay, now that is the story that I want you. I want you on regular. You have made some aggressive, aggressive targets. I think you're going to make them. The oil and gas industry has changed in this country and Canada, and we want to stay with you because we want to change with you. We've been negative. We see the changes. They're fabulous, Al. And I'm thrilled that you came on, man, buddy, to talk about it. Al Monaco, President and CEO of Enbridge ENB. Thank you, sir. Glad to be here, Jim. Guys, look, when you're making changes and the changes are real and the targets are real and the yield is real, we have to change our minds, too. I had been very negative on oil. I've brought you Pioneer, Devon, Enbridge, Chevron. These are real change companies, and I believe that. Mad Money's back here for Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The Lightning Round is next. Before we kick off tonight's Lightning Round, I want to take a minute to clue you into a can't-miss special airing tonight on CNBC. My great friend Melissa Lee takes a closer look at the sports betting trend in Generation Gamble, which airs tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern, right after the news with Shepard Smith. You want to watch this. Gambling is probably one of the most exciting trends in our country right now. So now it is time. It's time for the Lightning Round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski dead. The lightning round is over. Start with Michael in Tennessee. Michael. Booyah, Jim. I got a question for you about sure. a boring bank. It's outperformed Morgan Stanley and J.P. Morgan. It pays a nice dividend of 2.6% and has beat earnings the past four quarters. It has a three-year earnings per share growth rate of 78%. My question is J.E.F., Jeffrey's Financial Group. I think group. Richie Handler's terrific. His father is my accountant. I met him when he was a little boy when I used to go and see his dad on Saturdays to get my, get my taxes done. He is just fantastic. Jeffrey's goes higher. Let's go to Ryan in Wisconsin. Ryan! Jimmy, chill! Ho, ho, man, what's up? The chill wants to know. I got a uh, quick two questions. All right. uh, question one, can right. you have the CEO come on, Mad Money? I think you'd like the story. And number two, I know you love Ethereum. Yes. And this miner plays both Bitcoin and Ethereum, and they don't sell. So my question is, should I double down on HUT? Well, quarter four being the best performer? Okay, man, I look at something like a HUT, and I just say, look, I just rather own the pure. I own Ethereum. I think you just pick one of them, and you buy it. You can buy fractional if you want to. I don't want to buy a derivative because I want to know what I own. If you want to own Bitcoin, own Bitcoin. Let's go to Tim in Wisconsin. Tim. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Jimmy Yo. Chill in here. What's happening? Good first-time caller. Okay. Okay, I've got a uh, somewhat speculative pharmaceutical stock who recently uh, got approved in Europe uh, and went instantly to first-line treatment. Trials are done in the United States. Uh, looking for an NDA next couple of weeks, maybe a couple months. Citigroup just elevated the price target from 13 to $20 a share. They're currently sitting about 5 bucks a share. What do you think about LXRX? That sounds pretty darn interesting to me. Let's get them on the show. I like, you know, I like these companies that aren't just straight up, but have a lot of good things to say. Let's go to Jim in New York. Jim. Hey, is this Jimmy Kramer? Yes, yeah, Jimmy. What's up? How about the Cowboys, Jimmy? What's it? How yeah. about the Cowboys? Um, oh, I'm sorry, uh, Jimmy. Um, what do you think about Bank of America? 
I like Bank of America. It's just, it went to uh, wow, went to 44 today. It's all the way up there. Met the CFO this weekend. Wow, I think it's a great situation. I like Bank of America. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, hot, hot, Mike. Make sense of the day's most critical market machinations in no time flat. Stick with Kramer for a special no huddle next. Kramer, you are super. You are awesome. I'm a first time investor. Thank you for inspiring me to get in the game. Your show is the best. I am so glad you're on TV. I want you to know that you have transformed me. Thank you, Kramer. Why do we keep coming back to tech? What's the attraction, Fang and friends, with even the F Facebook getting support here after yesterday's fiasco? Allow me to explain. First of all, these companies have a willingness to change their business models, if necessary. Remember when Netflix used to send you DVDs in the mail? They could have easily ended up like Blockbuster Video. But CEO Reed Hastings adapted. He started streaming content online. Then he got in the business of producing his own films and TV shows. That's how the N and Fang could hit a new all-time high today. Even though the last quarter was widely panned for its lack of pizzazz and disappointing sign-up numbers, that now seems to be a thing of the past, doesn't it? In part because Netflix has been able to start filming again post-vaccination. How about Amazon? I am so sick of hearing about this one as a pandemic story. From Amazon's perspective, COVID was like a vast snowstorm that covered the entire world. And that's when Amazon historically has gotten the most new users. And those users stick around after the snow melts because the company offers some incredible bargains. Next, Apple. They just came out with a fabulous new phone that is both insanely fast 5G and really, really long battery life. Meanwhile, their product refresh across the board is incredible and their service revenue is growing by leaps and bounds. Remember, 10 years ago, Apple barely had a service revenue stream. They only recently started breaking out the numbers. I think once the analysts start valuing the stock like a consumer package goods play with fantastic technology by focusing on the lifetime value of Apple's phone customers, then it will go much higher. Then there's Alphabet, the artist formerly known as Google. I think YouTube may be the most important channel on Earth. Google search rivals Instagram in terms of your ability to target advertising at the right audience. I see Google Cloud in the room now, part of the equation when it used to be nothing compared to Amazon Web Services or Microsoft Azure. Huge change. Remember I said Fang and friends, so how about the friends? Microsoft just raised the price of Office 365, the subscription service. No pushback that I could tell. Like Alphabet and Amazon, we own Microsoft for the travel trust. I think the stock's 25-point decline has given a huge buying opportunity for you. You want information, unbiased info about these stocks? We write about them all the time. Which then leaves us with the roughest one of all that I saved for last, and that's Facebook. This is one of our longest-held positions in the charitable trust, and this is difficult to talk about. Regular viewers know that I think the world of Facebook and Instagram, fantastic advertising ability, WhatsApp, I use it myself, these are all incredibly compelling. But lately, two things have happened. First, Apple's made it harder for app developers to collect data from iPhone users for targeted advertising. Bad news for Facebook is targeted advertising is a very big part of the value proposition. Now, we know this will hurt earnings. We don't know how badly, and they've already flagged that it will. Second, and this is the real problem, children. Like most of the Internet, Facebook and Instagram aren't exactly child-friendly websites. But it looks like many kids are finding their way onto these sites, and some of the content is very worrisome. That has to end. Facebook needs to come down hard on both children and the parents who allow it to happen. Make it, buying, make it like buying alcohol, where people actually get in trouble for trying to subvert the rules. 
Honestly, if I were Mark Zuckerberg, I would ask Congress to make it illegal for children to go one of these sites. Let them help. Make it somebody else's problem. I would shout, safety for kids is my number one goal going forward. Now, I am going to say it again, Mark Zuckerberg. You make safety for kids your number one goal and you make it stick, then I know my trust won't feel it has to leave the stock. I'm not hearing that now, though, which as a parent and as an observer of the situation concerns me greatly. I think the political issues are more intractable, but they're not public health issues like teenage suicide. I wish Facebook could just sticker content that it deems sketchy because it's got a good board of advisors that's serious. They have a staff. I don't know. Ban anything that could lead to genocide. Based on the recent leaks, though, it seems like they don't care how much damage their users do as long as it generates traffic. Now, I'm sure they hate that characterization, but the hearings are one big echo chamber about that. It's a constant role to improve for Mark Zuckerberg. But if we were to keep the F in FANG, then Mark Zuckerberg needs to solve the children issue. And they probably can't do that without a legal framework from the government that makes it illegal for kids to be on these platforms. Again, I love this business, love to recommend the stock to you. But the third rail of teen suicide is one of the most important things in the world. And it needs to be addressed. And Zuckerberg has to do his best to stop it. Remember, the whole point for Ang is that these companies adapt. They pivot. They're always changing to adjust to new circumstances. It's time for Facebook to prove it still belongs in the club. A club that, by the way, I invented by making real efforts to protect the safety of its users. I think they can pull it off. I have faith. But until they do, we need to be more cautious. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise trying to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.